You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 61 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we are joined by basketball royalty, none other than Peter Scantlebury. You name it, he has done it. One of the massively underappreciated legends of the game in this country. BBL all-time leading scorer and actually all over the all-time uh, leaderboards because he has such a long and storied uh, career uh, here in the UK. And we got into all of that stuff, but not just that, also with the national team, where he is uh, England's, GB's uh, second most capped player ever um, to play the game. So yeah, there's so much stuff to go into, not just as a player, but also as a coach. Uh, he's done it all. And this was a super enjoyable conversation. You know, I spoke to a few different um, former teammates of him and friends friends of his, and they all had hugely positive things to say, um, namely that he's one of the friendliest guys in the game. And I second that. Uh, not a bad bone in his body and super, super, super friendly. Um, and so I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we do get into this week's show, uh, please take a minute to check out our Patreon account. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x. There you can sign up to give us a monthly donation of as much or as little as you'd like to help us doing the work that we're doing, trying to build a British basketball media empire here, and we can only do it with you, our audience's support. So please go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash hootfix. Um, as always, if you have any feedback, uh, drop me an email, sam at hootfix.com. You can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hootfix. Uh, and then finally, if you're listening on iTunes, please take two seconds to give us a rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, let me know what you think in the comments below. One final thing, the internet was very, very choppy at times it fluctuated in and out at times it was absolutely fine and then other times uh, the video in particular got very very pixelated uh, but generally the audio is fine um, but do please uh, bear that in mind I am working on a software solution to fix that uh, I think there is some stuff where I can record it at both his end and my end and then uh, the guest will have to send me the file afterwards and that should lead to a perfect quality recording but yeah I'm working on it and hopefully it will improve in the future but it shouldn't affect the recording too much anyway that is enough from me. Uh, here is this week's show, episode 61, with the great Peter Scantlebury. Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, okay, so I always uh, start at the beginning. Obviously, your career uh, is very, very esteemed. goes down in the record books, um, but the beginning is always interesting. So uh, can you talk about the early years and kind of how you ended up first uh, picking up a basketball? Yeah, it was just, just by accident, really. Um, I used to go to Cub Scouts and then they used to play all different games there. Basketball was one of them. So I just had a little little runner. Oh, quite, I like this. Then when I went into high school, um, they had a team, a primary school, middle school, sorry. And they had a team to play the high school side. So I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. We had a game. Then I went up to high school where I met a guy called Kevin Hibbs who, who really played a big part in, in the bus, my basketball career. Um, and he took me on from there, really. It just started. because of That was all it was. So what sort of age were you uh, when you kind of were first getting into it? I, I was around about 12, 13, something like that. Um, but again, my main sport was cricket at the time. My, my dad uh, from the West Indies, Barbados, that was their number one sport. So cricket, cricket would have made me a bit of athletics, and then basketball came along on the scene. 
Have you got any regrets about uh, leaving cricket behind? Well, I'll never know now. <laughs> uh, never know. Uh, I, I did. I did have a, a, a trial for Surrey Cricket Club um, when I was about seventeen, but it was really t- too late by then. Basketball had, had, had taken over by then, so yeah. who knows what would have happened. Do you remember kind of what it was that uh, made basketball take precedence? You know, like was there a, was there a moment or was there a, a certain role model or, or or inspiration that that kind of suddenly made you think, oh, do you know what? Actually, I, I really want to pursue this basketball thing. I, th- I think it, it just really was the fact that I started playing, and as I got older, I got a little bit better. Um, and then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, we're, we're winning stuff now!" You know, enjoyed enjoyed, enjoyed that. Um, before I know it, by the time I was eighteen, I think it was, I was playing at uh, England Juniors, seventeen, eighteen, playing the England Junior side. Wow! So you also you won under sixteen national titles at school as well, right? Yes, yeah, we did. Um, I was playing for a year older. Um, again, Kevin Hibbs, who was, was a coach of the team, yeah, and. I remember back at the time, I, I trying to think of the name of the program. I could go for it, maybe. I, I can't remember the name of the program, but anyway, we were, a bit of it was put on that. It was like a magazine show, you know, like they they have these Blue Peter magazine type things, and part of that was was on there. I think that might have been the time I really started getting the the bug for it, and we ended up playing in in Swiss Cottage in London, um, the final, and we ended up winning that. So that was a, that was a good day. You you grew up in in South London, right, Mitcham? Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, went to school Eastfields High School um, in 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 Mitcham. So myself, my brother, there's been a few guys that come through Eastfields that have played in the BBL. Um, Roger Hosanna, Andrea Lane. So a few guys that come through um, from through that system. I was gonna. I was gonna say, what 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 was the junior <coughs> basketball sort of landscape like uh, in London in those days? You know, when, when you talk about sort of rivalries and other players that you that you had your eye on as sort of top competitors, um, who were they? In in terms of the national league scene, we didn't really get involved on that till after we won that that school national championship. Um, so about sixteen, seventeen, Kevin went down to Guildford, started a. Uh, junior team in Guildford and obviously most of us from our school team and uh, that was really the the start of it all and Crystal Palace were our, our main rivals Steve Bucknell played there Michael Hales Trevor Anderson so there was a few few names from the past that were there Joe White um, you know those those type of guys we we, we played against um, they they were the, the main competition um, the, 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 the funny thing is I uh, I think the year before, two years before that, I tried out for Crystal Palace, so it wasn't too far from from where I lived. I did. I, they they gave me a, a letter to come back and what have you, but it was in another place called in called Sutton. So I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered to go that far. So that was the end of that. I thought until Kev started this uh, the National League side. Oh wow! It shows it shows the importance of having sort of national league clubs with close within close proximity to you, right? Because if if you don't have it, then it just becomes too long. Unless you're going to move, it's um yeah, it kind of kind of rules out as an option. Well, well, not only that, I think the the big importance is the people in the game. I mean, with with him, we wouldn't have gone to Guildford if he hadn't got the minibus from school to take us to Guildford every week. 
you know, or the practice, um, or open up the court at practice, you know, so we could practice every every lunchtime before school or after school. Any breaks, we would get in there and we would be playing, and he, you know, he would be in there supervising us. And I don't see that nowadays. Wow. You don't see that. Well, one of the nice stories, like I said uh, before we started recording, I did listen to uh, the UK Basketball Hub's uh, podcast with you, and uh, you were talking about you were actually working at Sainsbury's uh, when he set up that that, that club. <laughs> um, can you talk about kind of what what happened there and, and uh, yeah, what happened with Sainsbury's to allow you to then go and start playing National League? Yeah, um, I started obviously you know part time job get a bit of money. I thought, well, that's the end of the basketball at the weekend. But it, Kevin came to me and said, right, I'm starting this team. Um, we want you to be part of it. I said, well, Kev, I'm, I'm working at Sainsbury, so I, I can't. So he said, right, if I can speak to the manager and we can organise different times for you to work, would you do it? I'm thinking, yeah, oh, you'd never do that. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Didn't think it would happen. And he came back to me and said, yeah. Um, they've decided they've let us go so weekends you can come and play basketball. So I couldn't turn it down after that. I said I would do so. That, but I still ended up working the same. I must admit I hated it because I had the I was in a frozen food section every week, so I hated that. <laughs> what was your uh, what are your memories of kind of your first experiences of National League basketball? You know the the level um, that you were playing, the guys you were playing against. Uh, kind of what are your memories of that? This, obviously, it was a big step up, I assume, from national schools basketball from what you were doing before. Definitely, I think I think the first year was a was a bit of a eye eye opener for us. Um, we we rolling over most teams at school level. Um, and we went to national team level and found it harder. Um, but we there was a guy who you probably know, a guy called Sam Stiller. He, yeah. he came along. Um, so it started off just as our school team, and then guys like Sam came along, and a few other guys came along and, and, and joined us. So you know that improved us with better players. Um, he was a hell of a player at the time, Sam. Um, so that improved improved the team. And as we improved, we 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 found ourselves at the top of the tree, fighting Crystal Palace. So do, what? Uh, what uh, uh, yeah, go on. Sorry. I was gonna say I think the second year of our uh, of, of the league, I think we we won won the cup in Birmingham. Uh, Sam, as I mentioned before, MVP of the, of the of the tournaments. But I think that was the first time um, we'd won something at a national league level. And it wasn't long before you were representing the seniors, right? Yeah. Um, Guildford had, had a senior club. That, I think that was part of the reason why Kevin started there, because they wanted to bring some youngsters through. Um, so the second year there, 17 I was at the time, with a couple of us, uh, my Sam, myself Sam, a guy called Peter Wright. We all sat on the end of the bench for Guildford. Um, they were maybe second, third from bottom, something like that. So they were getting beat every week. So that gave us a chance to get in. Um, I remember the first game I played against uh, a Birmingham side, it was. Um, there was a big guy, about 6'9", big dude called John Stroder. And uh, junior level, you can get to the basket, do whatever you want. I went to the basket thinking I was doing that. He threw the ball, threw me and the ball out of the court, turned around, get the hell out of here. That was it. It was it. I'm like, right, I've, I've, I've got to improve now. I've got to come back from that. <laughs> did, did you find physically competing against men helped with your with your own personal development? 
it did, but we, we were playing um, against men in, in the local league as well. So we, we had a we had a, a our kids team playing in the men's local league. So physically that helped us. They weren't obviously a lot of them weren't as skillful as us, but some of the tricks you learn and so you know very physical to try and slow us down. So you have to learn that to you know to overcome. If you want to get better, which we did. Which local league was this? I've kind of um, I've heard stories about sort of the London local league being super strong back in those days and having some sort of legendary teams in it. Uh, kind of yeah. What was the situation with the the local league? This was Surrey, um, Surrey okay. local league because at our school we, we were in the Surrey catchment area. Yeah. So when we played for many things like Surrey chips and that type of thing, so that was our, our catchment area. And as as a, and you were literally your school team playing against men. How how did you guys do? More, yeah, more or less. We did all right. We did all right. Um, like I said, it was a it was a learning curve for us. Um, a, lo- a lot of the guys, uh, funny enough, that played in that local league, you would see refereeing uh, in the junior league games and things like that. Even even some of the when I got older into the national league, some of those guys were still around refereeing refereeing men's national league games. So, so that was strange. It's a small tight knit community, isn't it? Super yeah, small tight knit community. Yeah. Um, so with the with the seniors, at what point did you start seeing sort of regular minutes and making sort of bigger contributions with with the club? Well, the, the first year, as I said, we we were we were near the bottom of the league, and then the second year, um, unfortunately, Kevin and a couple of the other guys left and went with Kingston. Kingston was starting up a, a junior side there. Um, Guildford moved to Bracknell, and. I decided to stay with them. They gave me the chance, so I thought well, I'll stay stay with them. And it was that year, uh, my first full year in in men's national league, that I started to get more time. Uh, I started, we, you know, which probably would be unheard of now as eighteen year olds starting in, in in the national league. But like I said, we weren't very good. We, we was maybe second from bottom. But they gave you the chance to to make your mistakes and learn from them and get better. Um, obviously, the the, the Teams at the time at the top were like Crystal Palace. They, they were up there. Doncaster were up there. So playing against those guys, you can only but improve. Yeah. One thing I have been unable to uh, fully fill in the blanks in terms of your career is uh, Winthrop College and the move to the States and kind of when that happened, how long that happened for, whether you, did you do your full four years there or was it only a period of time? Like, can you kind of go through how that how that came about and sort of, yeah, what, what exactly went down? Yeah, the, as I mentioned, the first, that was the first year at Bracknell. Um, then the second year at Bracknell, we had a guard come in by the name of Dan Calandrillo, probably one of the best guards I've ever played with. Um, he came in with Tony Belogan. And Steve Keenan, they were uh, Tony was a, a naturalized player. Steve and Dan Caladrillo were the Americans. And that year, from finishing maybe second from bottom, we, we ended up fourth, getting into the playoffs. And again, Sam and myself were, were playing in that side, and we were playing a lot of minutes. Um, we went to a tournament, end of season tournament in Ireland. And Winthrop were there. Um, they saw us play, and they're like, "Well, how old are you?" Told them how old I was, and said, "Would you like a scholarship?" Jumped at the chance, you know. It's not like it is now where you can research the the college and that type of stuff. So jumped at the chance. Yep, I'll go there. After, subsequently, after that, there were other bigger colleges, NCAA, me to, to, if I would go there, or to give my word to Winthrop that I would go. And they were NIA school. Um, 
they, they mentioned a couple of things that would happen, which didn't didn't take off. Um, I felt the standard wasn't quite as good as here. So I played the season um, there, ended up coming back. But an interesting story, when I first got to America, the guy that picked me up from the, the airport was Billy Mims, who coached at Leopards and things like that. So again, small world. Yeah. Um, he was just starting out as a, a grad assistant at at, uh, at Winthrop. So he was just starting out there. So it's just like I said, it's a small world. And he came over here and he did some, some good things while he was here. So sort of getting over to the States, obviously, you know, in terms of your expectations and, and where I guess it, it didn't meet them, it was just the comp- competitive level on the floor or, or was it other things kind of what were the, the main factors that led to your decision to, to come back? No, it was mainly, mainly the, the basketball side of things. Uh, it was mainly basketball. I, I felt that, uh, for one, um, I wasn't getting time as I thought maybe I sh- could have got or should have got. I was down to the coach, but the standard, as I said, I didn't think it was as good as it was here. Um, so, so I was like I said, I saved a year and then came back. And in terms of the t- the timing of this, we're we're in sort of what sort of uh, year was that? We we are looking at eighty three, eighty four. I was there, I think eighty three, eighty four, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, something like that. Right around about eighty four, eighty five, maybe. Um, I was there. And then I came back, uh, Bracknell offered me a place here. Um, I also started working there as well as uh, a sports, in the sports department uh, there, uh, sports development officer. Yeah. So I guess basketball back then, it wasn't paying as a, as a full-time wage, so I did sports development there. And some of the things in that area were still going. Um, a few years ago, like I started up a lunchtime basketball league and five-a-side leagues and stuff like that. So a lot of that was still still ongoing years after I left. Wow. So so when you uh, came back to England, obviously you know you, you've got a job, but you're still playing basketball. Were you actively trying to pursue a basketball career in the sense of like I want this to be, you know, my full-time living uh, and be a professional basketball player and not have to do another job as well? Or was it a case of you know, I love basketball. It's going to kind of always be on the side whilst I'm doing other jobs. Kind of, how were you approaching it? Yeah, that's how it was actually. Uh, for me, it was basketball was a secondary thing. You do a job, basketball was a bit of a hobby. Um, well, a bit more of a more than a hobby, I would say, because I moved out to to live in Bracknell, and they provide. Um, didn't drive at the time, so I do a lot of walking. But uh, so so yeah so. It, it, it was for me it wasn't really that you know now, now, nowadays kids could look at like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe or something to get them into the game um, we didn't really see the NBA to, to, to get us hooked um, I remember one summer seeing 76ers I think it was yeah Moses Malone playing it in, in the finals and they won it um, so I started think oh this could be big you know basketball could be big but obviously obviously it didn't translate to here till till much later um the, the the teams that and the players here that really got you going for me to start off with was crystal palace they had uh, i remember seeing them at the wicb at crystal palace that was one of the tournaments i've always wanted to play in it was a big thing 
know, the, the junior section, the women's, the junior ladies, the men's. It was a big tournament. And I only watched it from the sidelines. The Royals wanted to get in there. People like Alton Bird, Larry Dassey, uh, you know, they, they drew you to the game. You know, you're like, wow, you know, Mark Sayers as well, who, who was at Crystal Palace. And then as, as I got older and started playing in the, in the BBL, um, as it turned out to be now, that people like Dan Davis, um, Will, Will Brown, you know, Vince Brookings, Steve Bontrager, those are the type of guys that think, well, I'm playing against these guys, you know, that's what you're trying to aim yourself to be like. Well, when people talk about that era, you know, everyone talks about the sort of the quality of the, the level of the quality of the, the import player. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like for you coming up, it mattered whether or not they were American or, or British? Like, did it, did it, did you want to see guys that are sort of come from where you'd come from and been through what you'd been through to then be on the stage? Or was it actually just, you were just wowed by the level of the player? It doesn't matter kind of what their background is and whether or not, you know, you can relate to them in that type of way off the court. Well, well, I think all round um, the level of play was better because you had not only the top class Americans. Um, when I was at, I mentioned earlier, I was at Guildford, we had a guy called Robin Jones who played backup to Bill Walton when they won Portland Trailblazers, won the NBA championship. So, you know, yes, he was at the end of his career, but he still had something to give in England. And uh, But I also thought a lot of the English guys were coming through at the time there wasn't the Bosman ruling. So all the best players were here. So all the best players, you know, played against each other and you got better that way. And then, and then for me as well, well, what helped things, we used to go um, in the summer as well. We didn't play the season, the finish. We would play in the summer. Um, there was a place called North London College where a lot of guys would to play. Um, and that was, again, you hone your skills there. Um, guys from the BBL to Division One, lower leagues, whatever. Everybody was there weekend, Saturday, Sunday, was in the gym, practicing, getting better. I've heard of these legendary uh, North London College runs. Like, how did that come about? Like, and how did that place become sort of the focal point of the basketball community? Was there a particular person that had access to the gym that was opening up for people? Like, how did it actually end up being what it was? I don't know how it all started, but a friend of mine from school. He he used to go there, so he asked me to go down there one one weekend with him. And Larry Dassey, who I mentioned before, he was down there a lot. Uh, a guy called Bobby Overton. Um, he I think he had instrumental in, in in getting the college and getting guys to play there. So those those were the two big names when I first went down there. Uh, you know that that drew you in really, and it and it and it wasn't a place to fear. It wasn't no any problems. It was together playing and I had fun. Yeah, how it should be. So you you stayed with uh, with Bracknell until the actual BBL was formed, right? Now, do you remember? So that was uh, eighty six, yes. eighty seven. Do you remember kind of the forming of the BBL and yeah. that? Like, I've been speaking to a few different people that were involved with that closely and kind of talking about the clubs wanting to be in control of their own desti destiny and didn't feel like they were getting their fair share from the the governing body at the time for the finals events and all this kind of stuff. So they wanted mm. to s sort of break off. Do you remember kind of the, the early conversations you heard of like, oh, you know, the, the clubs are trying to do something separate, they're trying to break away, kind of, and if you do kind of have any memories, what, what were they? I, I do a little bit. Um, at the time, for me, I just wanted to play. So you didn't really really get involved with the, the politics or anything like that. As, as long as you had a team and you could play, 
that was it. Uh, but I do remember the, the big, the big, you know, opening of the league and how it came about. And the, 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 it was a, I think it probably was a, a good thing that it's, that, you know, it's proved over the years that it, it's done, it's done a good job to be. Did you notice a change, you know, from one season, from when it went to, from the National League to the BBL? Like, if you compare the two from season to season, was there a big change or was it just in name? I, I, I really can't remember, but one of the things I do remember is that sponsors started to got be, become involved, and I can't remember if that was before the BBL time or after the BBL, the BBL, BBL time. But it was around about that time sponsors started getting involved, so you know the the the, the game started to to grow. And then in terms of Channel like four got involved as well. I was going to say from the from the commercial development po- standpoint. Um, you know, with, with Channel 4 getting involved, with, with more sponsors getting involved, did that mean for you guys as players it started meaning that your salaries were increasing and you were getting paid more and more benefits from, from the clubs? I, th- I think that's when it started. People started to be more professional in terms of player-wise, doing that as their only thing rather than working. I think it, was around, it must be around about that time um, that that happened. For me, I was still working at the time. Um, I didn't really become professional in in its sense till much later um till, till i ended up going to newcastle late 90s so i still worked up up until then how are you how are you able to balance having a, a job as well as you know being a being a basketball player it wasn't um as full-on as it got to later on i, I think uh, we practiced maybe three times a week as a team you did bits and pieces on your own uh, and then games at the weekend. So it didn't really impinge on the work until later later on when you had to practice every day, two, sometimes two sessions a day, things like that. That's, that's when uh, that's when it really, really changed. Was it kind of mad going from being a, you know, going from being on the basketball court, playing in front of, you know, thousands of people or whatever, and then waking up the next day and going into your, <laughs> going into your day job? I don't know about man, but he just sometimes you got back after a long trip the night before. You know you're gonna get up, but you know you're you're professional, so you got to do it. You got to do it. Pays the bills. Has your was your work always very accommodating of your basketball career? Well, to start off with with um, with the sports development role, yes, they were because it was part and package of the same thing. I think that's how how uh, they come to afford it. The the club. Um, they were helping each other. So for, for the first five to six years, um, I did that. They, they were, they, you know, they helped me out, man. But at the same time, as I said, if I had to do something, I had to be there no matter what. What I mean, the, the difference was, yeah, they let you off to play games or, or practice. But apart from that, you had to be there. So you, from from Bracknell, you went to Sunderland, right? Can you kind of remember uh, why the move yes. happened and kind of the differences between the two sides? Yeah, um, some of them were up and coming team then, as, as it goes. I think they were second to, to Kingston at the time. Uh, we, we were just slightly behind them at, at Bracknell. But the club structure changed, um, the coach changed, the, the way they changed. So it, for me, it was time to make a move. Uh, so I ended up I, I knew Craig Lynch who was a coach at the, at the time I knew him from he had, he had a season he was my, he was my, room, my roommate, roommate when he came down so he's coming up 
Um, one of the other guys on the team, a guy by the name of Kenny Nottage, he was one of a teammate of mine that was at Guildford. So again, I spoke to him, him, he to me, told me about how good it was. And well, my best friend, um, is that this is the start of it. Of it was Steve Nelson. We got together on a on an England duty, and he was telling me about the the club and saying they want me to come up, and he was telling me how good it was, and da 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 da, and everybody talked me into it. So there was an tumbler, and uh, it was a I thought it was a it was a really good year. Uh, Russ Saunders, he was on on the team. He was he was a point guard. Clyde Vaughan, um, another another guy. I think. We talked earlier about the financial side of the game, how how it improved uh, with sponsors and league. Somebody like Clyde Vaughan were able to come back and play because of that. You know, um, yes, he was English, but he he could have played in, in Europe, maybe or got, or in the States. But because of the the money that was offered, somebody like him that came back, that's why the the level was so so good. A lot of English guys coming back to to play. So so in Sunderland, did you correct me if I'm wrong? But did is, was that the first year he won the league title? No, we didn't win the league title. We won, we won the cup. Ah. We won the, the WICB. Uh, ah. We, we, yeah. It was, about, it was about November time. Um, Steve Bucknell, um, he got cut from the Lakers. So then he came to Sunderland, um, which was a big plus for us uh, at that time. Uh, and I, I knew Steve from... England junior days and obviously being my rival at Crystal Palace and stuff like that so I knew him from so as so soon as he came we headed off um, and the team headed off and I think we went from strength to strength there um, and as I said the December time the WRCB tournament um, was we ended up going there with Clyde Bourne went home to the States we were going there with probably seven guys guys were working in the Things like that, and, and you're like, yeah, yeah, enjoy, enjoy your few days. That, you know, that was it. We didn't think we were gonna, gonna win it, but we ended up winning that, winning that uh, tournament. So that was a big. I've always wanted to play tournament on the great. Yeah, can you can you talk about you? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but can you talk about the magnitude of the WICB tournament? Obviously, you know, winning it is a big deal, and everyone I speak to from that era talks about it so fondly. Um, kind of, what are your memories of it, and and why do you think that it is being held in such high regard after all this time? Uh, well, why has been held in such regard? Because you had so many great, many great players and great teams come over. Um, some NBA players, the guy Mike D'Antoni, who's coaching now at Houston Rockets. I remember playing against his team there. Um, a guy called Antoine Carr. Um, again, he was there. But the the big team at the time um, for that tournament was Maccabi Tel Aviv. They they were like the, the number one team, and I think think the difference why that tournament, fact that there was nothing like it in this in this country, you know, with so, so many great teams and great players coming over to play, play, and it was the timing of it was was perfect because between Christmas and New Year, really there wasn't much going on uh, at the time in the league. So putting the tournament in there was a stroke of genius, uh, and getting getting teams that came over that was great. Yeah. So after after Sunderland. Uh... You made the move to London Docklands at the time, I believe, um, and that was kind of the early. That was the early form. The early form of uh, London Towers. Um, 
Can you talk about that 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 first yeah. that first year with the club? Obviously, as far as I'm aware, that was the year uh, that you were pretty much an all British team. Um, did very well. You were coached by the legendary Joe Joe White. Um, can you discuss kind of your memories of of that season and uh, kind of how it unfolded? Yeah, uh, start off with um, it was a shame, but towards the end of that su- that season, Sunderland into financial difficult difficulty um so it, it was tough for us to get motivated to play but we still ended, still ended up ended up we won the cup competition we beat kingston who was the biggest team around at the time we beat them in the semis and then won the final um and we lost to them in in the player final so it was basically came to an end time to move on what are you going to do next um london came up uh spoke to myself and my brother brother richard um, I think that was one of the appealing factors as well. I'll get to play on the same team as him. Uh, looking at it basketball-wise, the year before, they were horrendous. I think they may have won maybe one or two games all year. And it's like, do you really want to go there? But they had new owners come in. And like you mentioned, Joe White um, was coaching the team. A guy called Roy Charles um, was in the background. So we, we went and met and so my brother Richard. We went and met them. And they sold us a, a, a good program, and, and there was. Um, the first year, we, we, we did have two Americans. Um, they were okay. They, they were okay. Uh, well, I think we ended up uh, top four, mostly English. And then the second year, Mark Dunning came in. Um, we, we, we ended up third, I think, getting to the playoffs both years. And that was an all-English English team. Um, Joel Moore was on that team. Ronnie Baker was on that team. Steady Baker was on the year before, and Andrew Bailey as well. So a lot of the 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 guys who were at Brixton um, joined that squad as well as myself uh, and my brother. And it was a it was a it was a very good time. We were all friends anyway. Um, so you know when you're playing with your your mates and the, everything just runs so smoothly. Uh, so it was a it was a good year. But for for me as a player, I think time I started to have to step up to be like the the guy to to lead leading role rather than follow the American guys uh you know that type of thing I think that was the time that really the English guys guys well for me in particular had to step up was it it was I'm pretty sure in terms of the timelines it was around this time you won two England Player of the Year awards, right? Which was, I think it was 92, 93, which would have been around the same sort of time. Was that, Do you think that kind of coincided with, you know, you're taking on the role of sort of being the man and uh, taking responsibility on that sort of started being recognised? Definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, the BBL is, is a American-dominated league and I'm one of the few English guys that, that broke that, some of that dominance. Um, so yeah, that's definitely that. And also with with the England team, uh, we at the time we had won the basketball Commonwealth Games in Scotland, um, and we had also went to Malaysia. There we got got second to Canada. We were second to Canada. So all everything all around about the same time happened. Uh, and yeah, I did get those those two uh, English Player of the Year trophies in, which was a which was a big thing. It was a big thing for me. Obviously, now you know. Now you can look back and you've seen kind of you know these records that you still hold, and um, and you're you're all over the BBL leaderboards and stuff like that. How much did individual sort of accolades, recognition drive you, or was it 
or did you always feel like uh, kind of you're more about trying to win championships and the sort of the team success? No, you, you wanted to win um, as a team. Yeah, the, these these types of things, the records and that type of stuff. You don't really think about it till you. Well, well, I didn't really think about it till I finished playing. You know, and then you sit back and to 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 be funny enough, uh, most people, I guess, during lockdown were bored and whatever. So during this time, I went went in to some of the old photos and bits and pieces like that. For years, I keep saying, right, I'm going to put this all together and da 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 da. Still haven't done it, but hey, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, getting closer. But then you sit back and you realise, wow, yeah, I didn't have a bad career. Yeah, you know, it was it was good while it lasted. You know, both playing and 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 coaching. Yeah. But do you, uh, do you have any regrets looking back? In what? In which way? What do you mean? Playing? In or? any? Yeah, like any 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 way? Like in any way? When you look back on sort of the. Yeah, the, the heyday of it. Is there any part of you think, oh, I wish I'd done this differently or I wish I'd not changed to this team or anything like that? In terms of teams, no, not really. Um, in terms of teams, I think everything happened at the right time for, for the right reason, I guess. Um, but it, it, in terms of the me as a player, this maybe I would like to have become a bit more professional earlier. I don't know if that would have helped me improve um, and and then, unfortunately for me, the Bosman ruling came in a bit later for me. Um, at the time, my wife was just having my, uh, our first daughter, and uh, so it was a bit late to move then. So I would I would like to have done that, played in Europe. I've seen some of the guys who who, who I grew up with a little bit younger than me, guys like Roger Huggins and Andy Gardner, and they they end up going to to uh, playing in Belgium. Uh, I would like to have done that, but hey. I can't complain if if I had done that, maybe other things wouldn't have wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, if you'd spent time abroad, you know, maybe you wouldn't have been up as high in all the sort of overall leaderboards and, and everything else because you've had time away. And I do think, you know, part of your your, yeah. le- your legendary status, status is because of the fact that, you know, you were here for so long um, and able to do all the things, <coughs> excuse me, that, that, that you're able to do uh, domestically for sure. But... Yeah, the talking about the Bosman ruling quickly. I, I mean, I was waiting to get to it in the career timeline, but seeing as we're, we're kind of on the topic, can you discuss kind of uh, your memories of sort of first recognizing that this was going to lead to massive changes um, in the domestic league? Kind of what you and the rest of the players were saying, what the owners were saying, what the clubs were saying, uh, and how it sort of eventually played out. Yeah, um, I remember it, it, it was a big thing, um, and and I knew a lot of the guys, the uh, top English guys, were looking at Europe. Obviously, we can get more money, um, so that that was the the first thing. So if they go to Europe, how is a league going to replace them guys? And and that was when the rule came in about five uh, five Americans, um, the English guys that were here. We 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 we. we 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 thought it was cutting people's chances down. You know, I remember the basketball players basketball association started up at that round about that time. So we we say no, it's not right. Give give the English guys more of a chance first, which which didn't happen. Um, so unfortunately, that you know that's the way it goes. But now the rule is still the same. Probably what twenty five years later. Uh, where there are five five foreign guys on a, on a sign. 
What was the pushback from the league at the time? Uh, you know, when if the players' association and kind of you, you and groups of guys were saying, you know, five Americans coming in is going to decimate English jobs. It's going to not be good for the British game. Kind of what was the response to that? What what was the justification on their side um, for doing it? I I can't really remember uh, too too much, but I think maybe financially they they were looking at, you know. They can get a better product if they bring more more guys in. I don't know. I really can't tell you how, what their their thought process was, but it, in a way it helped, and in a way it hindered the, the English development of the of the game. Um, even now, you see a lot of the English guys playing in Europe, but they come back to finish their careers here. You know, you, and then some of them are. Outstanding. You look at Justin Robinson, Andrew Sullivan, those types of guys that we've played away and then come back and, and played here. Roger Huggins is another one. Mm. How how many guys uh, sort of immediate like immediately left the BBL after the Bosman ruling to play in Europe? Like that first season, it was around ninety six, wasn't it? Ninety six, ninety seven, I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were who were the main names that sort of that had been playing domestically that sort of instantly uh, went abroad to be able to earn considerably more money? Um, if I remember right, I think people like TB Bockman was one. Uh, Joe Moore, another went to play play abroad. Um, I can't think. I can't can't think really uh, of, of many other guys off the top of my head now. But but they there was there was a few which left a bit of a hole. And I said, I guess like I said, you mentioned about why the league did it. Maybe they had to fill those the, those gaps there. Yeah. Yeah, like I feel like from from the conversation I had with other people, there was the owners. Well, the owners said that they were petrified of the that uh, basically everyone would leave, and as a result, um, they wouldn't have the talent, so they need to allow more work permit players. But actually, not as many players left as they'd expected or anticipated, and so as a result, you still had the British guys back, but they'd bought in five Americans, uh, and then the British guys all of a sudden were relegated to the end of the bench um, and playing behind. You know, Americans. Yeah, uh, that, that did happen. Um, a lot of guys that would have got time um, ended up not playing as much, and and I think I was affected by that. It was when I went to to Newcastle, which we'll probably come on to a bit later on. Yeah. So I was affected by that there. So you did your two years in two years in London. Uh, was it two years or was it three years? 91, 92, 90? Yeah, two. Yeah, go on. Two, two years. Two years, two years at London. Um, and then I went back to Bracknell, what was called Thames Valley at, at that time. Yeah. Um, again, they were another upcoming team. Uh, Mick Bett was a good friend of mine from when I played there before. Uh, um, godfather to, to his son, John, Josh. Uh, the story, story is... Mike Hales, who was uh, the captain of the side as well, very good friend of mine. On our wedding day, they were up there. Mick was trying to talk me to, to, to come back and play. I'm like, Mick, I'm getting married. Just leave it for, for today. Yeah, but but uh, we, we ended up talking a bit later on and ended up going back. And I think that, that was a that was a uh, excellent move because that, that year I'd won the, the league title. I'd won one thing before, um, 18 Nine was the first time won uh, in the BBL. That was with um, Bracknell. We had guys called Del Roberts and Brian Kellebrew there. We won 
the, the cup, and we also won the trophy that year. Um, Trevor Gordon was as as well was as well was on, on that team. But um, moving forward to, to, to the Thames Valley side, uh, Tony Holly, he was at Berry the year before, I think he was, or Doncaster, something like that, and uh, he came came across. Nigel Lloyd, Lloyd was there the year before that, um, and uh, I've had quite a few point guards to, to play with, and Nigel was one of the best. So those was your did your first two seasons in Thames Valley coincide with Mick Betts' first two seasons as coach? in the BBL and then that's when he won because he, he won back-to-back coach of the he, year those two years as well right yeah well the, the year before he was um, he was a coach there then um, and I think he they got to the, the the playoff finals I think they may have lost the word and they may have come second second in the league um, but they did win the trophy that year uh, I think I think that's when, that's when maybe he got the, the coach and in the second year um, when I was there we won the league and we won the trophy uh, that year, um, so but I think again, I think that's when he got coach of the year. I think Nigel got player of the year. Wow. Did you feel like um, the BBL was growing at that time? Was there a lot of optimism around basketball in the UK? Did you feel like it was kind of on the rise? Yeah, um, I think that's when Sky started getting involved a little bit. Um, so. I think I think that was around about time. We had a few, maybe a few games there, but the thing that that stood out for me, like end of season, season dues and things like that. We were going to like Cafe Royal and things like that for for the end of season all star teams and things like that. So you know there were big occasions that that showed that the league's going away. I mean, we had, um, I mean, some of the the big sponsors started coming in, like I mean, like you said, started the London Towers. Soon after that, the leopards came in, you know, and and, and the things grew from there. Manchester um, were a big team then as well. They had the guy, guy I think guys from Indiana uh, were backing them, uh, so they were a big team. So you obviously experienced a, a lot of success uh, at Thames Valley. Would you kind of say that that was the that sort of period was the the peak of of your your days in the BBL? In terms of playing wise, probably. Terms of playing wise, yeah, um, maybe we did win some trophies, but I think coming to my career was probably the peak in terms of uh, the team, and and then that helped me get into coaching, which I'll, which I'll you know, probably talk about later. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. So from from Thames Valley, you ended up in Newcastle. One of one of the, one of the actual one of the articles I. Uh, I did manage to dig up from some type of newspaper article uh, archive was was uh, you talking about coming to mutual terms with with Newcastle to leave because basically that uh, you weren't getting to play uh, and ultimately you felt like you were performing in practice and um, you weren't getting a chance to to kind of show your stuff on the floor. Can you kind of yeah go through kind of what what happened in Newcastle? Your memories of the situation? Yeah, um, like like I said, I mentioned I I started I became like a Somebody who who got hurt by that the new the new ruling. Um, the first year wasn't wasn't so bad. Uh, we played. We had a pretty decent year. A um, few guys there. The guys like Andrew Bailey and Carl Miller, who played in England or played club side. They they were there as well. So it was a good 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 family unit uh, player wise. Um, Ralph Blaylock, he played. Um, he played up there, so he, he was a hell of a player. So yeah, we, we were we were we were up there. Um, but things 
turned sour really the the, the second year uh, for whatever reason. I mentioned Craig Lynch, who was got me to Sunderland the first time round. Um, he was coach now. A guy by the name of Tom Hancock was the coach originally. He recruited me. Um, then for some real think family problems, he he didn't come back. So Craig Lynch took over. Um, to start off with, I could see that for whatever reason. You know, you get a feeling as a player that you don't figure too much in 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 his plans. But the start first year, like I said, wasn't too bad. We did all right. But then the start of the second year, really, really didn't get looking. Um, I was coming to the end of my career at the time, and it's like, well, if I couldn't do it in practice, I would say, all right, fair enough. But in practice, like you said, I was still still playing well, still cutting the grade, and when I got to the court. Uh, did good things on the court, so but, but that didn't lead to the 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 games and that should have happened on the, the court. So he got a bit frustrated. Um, funny enough, it was just before Halloween. We came down to Sheffield, and we we played. It was a Sky game actually. Um, we lost to Sheffield. I didn't get on the court, and. Chris Finch, I just bumped into him in the corridor and he said, oh, what are you going to do next year? I said, I don't know, really. Um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. It's going to be a long year from here to, to finish out. So we'll see see what happens. Um, got back to, to Newcastle um, on a Monday. was called into the office. They said, right, we are going to have to let you go. Um, things are working out, fair enough. Uh, but, you know, they, they were good about it. Uh, everything was, like you said, a, we both agreed this wasn't working. So so I had Jim Brandon call me up at um, Edinburgh at the time, I think he was. I um, wanted to, to go to be at the bottom. And then it must have been like that same weekend about to, to go up to Edinburgh. Um, a guy called Matt Gaudio at Sheffield injured his knee, um, did his ACL. So they're looking for a replacement. So they rang me up. Um, Do you want to come down to have a look at the club? I'm like, well, bottom of the league, top of the league. They've only lost one game at that time. So, hey, I'm, I'm going there. I haven't got, I haven't got too much time left. So I'm going to try and, you know, get, get some trophies there to, to finish off. So, I ended up coming down. But guys like Ian McKinney, Mike Payne, who I played with, uh, England, um, England side. So they, they made me feel welcome. welcome. The, the, the other guys, Todd Cawthorn, Will Johnson. Those guys, Terrell Myers was here at the time as well, and a guy called Travis Conlon. They, they, they made me feel welcome. And it was like night and day. I'm not talking about just uh, the fact that, yeah, you got, got some court time, but it was night and day the way the team approached everything. Um, you know, I was down, down to Chris and I guess the, the club ethos, because they, they've always been, they were successful from when they, they started. Uh, so I really enjoyed a couple of practice sessions I had here and yep, yeah, I'll come down and that was that was that. So the, the irony of the Newcastle Eagles situation based on what you've previously said was that, so that was the first time that you'd sort of made the transition to being professional full-time basketball player, right, in, in Newcastle. So kind yes, of like you've, yes. you've finally gone yeah, full-time yeah, on, yeah. on being basketball only and then all of a sudden it's actually, okay, well, this this it's not working out great here and then you obviously end up having to move. So all your years in terms of value, you were still working a full-time job at the same time? Yes. Wow. Yes, Valley. I was still, still, still working. Um, but uh, like I said, so, so 
when you're talking about regrets, uh, you know, maybe that might be when you're thinking about, well, should I have, should I have gone then that late in the day, you know, as, as, as you got old, but things work, like I said, things work for a reason. Uh, ended up coming to Sheffield at the time we went on a, a, a big run as well. So of winning games in the, in the league. Um, so, at, you know, it was, Finding your, finding your feet with with a new team and new bunch of players, but I think it came the January time we were playing Manchester first time um, in the league. They they were the closest rivals. Um, that's where because I, I had a break breakout game for for the Sharks then, um, and then from then things it just you know, work over as as a player. We ended up winning winning the league that year. That was that was uh, a fantastic. Fantastic end of the season uh, playing at Manchester, but I do remember um, the week before we we need we had three games left and we needed to win two out of the three. Uh, we had Newcastle on a Saturday, Chester on the Sunday, and then by the time the league finished, we would have played Manchester the last game of the season. We would hope we would have had it done by then because Chester were near the bottom, Newcastle somewhere in the middle. So we played Newcastle, we beat them. I uh, went over to Craig Lynch, went to shake his hand, and I said to him, um, thank you. And he's like, oh, thank you. What do you mean, thank you? I'm like, thank you for another championship. So then I walked off, he, you know, uh, and then the next day we went to Chester and uh, it was like, yeah, we're going to win it here today. I think the crowd thought we were going to win it. That wasn't to be. Uh, but uh, like I said, things happen for a reason. And a week later, we went to Manchester. Final day of the season, biggest crowd of the season, you know, um, Sky Sports. And it went down to the final second where Terrell Myers hit, hit, hit that shot. And I think um, that really brought basketball to Sky, I think, after that season, uh, the way the way that happened. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't have uh, written a script for, for that to happen. What are your memories of of that uh, that game winner? Kind of like, do you remember kind of it being drawn up in a timeout? When like kind of where you were, your positioning, seeing it go in. Did you think it was going in? Did you think you were out of the game? Did you think you were done? Kind of what are your memories of that actual sort of that final possession? Well, did that game I had um, done something to my ribs, so I was I was struggling anyway. Uh, but so I came out, put some ice on, and then we were, yeah we did have. Chris drew a, uh, a play. Well, I went back in. And I remember the ball going to Terrell. It was always going to Terrell. And basically, he shoots it, and we're going to go rebound if we can. So I was fighting Tony Dorsey, I think he wants to get the rebound. So I didn't really actually see a, a good look of it going in. But then I see everybody jumping up and cheering. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing for me was the fact that the whole place went quiet, except for a little corner where Sheffield... Shark support was where they just went wild, and uh, we we just it, it was such such a great way to end the season, such a great way. I guess that must go down as sort of one of the peak career memories, surely. Yeah, I, th- I think because it was so tight and the way it happened, I think it's got to be the, the the best one of the best memories, definitely um, in, in terms of definitely winning the league. That, that was uh, the best one. So from there, you you stayed in Sheffield for another. How long did you end up playing in Sheffield for? Five, six years was it? I played another three three years, I think. 
three, four years after that, we were again, us and Manchester were rivals. The second season, Travis went to Manchester. Um, they ended up winning most things. We, we won the cup that year. And then that's, uh, I think after that, the, the, the conferences came into play. Um, the North and South Conference. So we won it one year. They won it another year. Uh, but my final year uh, at Sheffield, we, I was us and Brighton, Nick Nurse, who coached Manchester, who's now coaching, coaching uh, Brighton at the time. Obviously, he's gone on to bigger things in Toronto. But um, he was coaching Brighton there. Uh, both of us, again, fighting for it. Similar to the Manchester situation. Um, whoever won that game would win the league. Um, we were lucky this time we were at home uh, and we ended up winning again on a last second shot by Rob Yanders who, who hit the shot. So, you know, that's why, that's why I say when you ask me about, you know, which was which is the, the peak years. In terms of playing, yes, Thames Valley, but in terms of the, the other, all the other things, the, you know, the team were the, the way we came from behind the odds because a lot of people didn't fancy us as a team. You know, we had the big names elsewhere. Uh, we were just a lot of guys who worked well together. And Chris got the best of it, best of us working together. Um, so I think those those last few years, I, I could not for for better to, to finish off the season. Um, I remember one year talking um, at a end of season do. Um, the players had voted me the player of the year at, at the Sharks. And then I said to him, Come, coming from Newcastle, I felt like I was Lazarus, I've risen from the from the from the death, you know, come back just showed you that I still had some life left in me, you know. Uh so so yeah, those last few years were, were really more of a of a of a statement thing. Uh yeah, I could still could still play a bit of thing. And obviously you're still living in Sheffield to this day, right? So you know, off mm. the court was was it like kind of did you feel like it fitted off the court as well? You kind of were happy in Sheffield. Do you like Sheffield, or is that just kind of you know there must be something about it that's kind of ended ended up with you staying there for so long? Yeah, no. It, it um, well to start off with, it, it was a case of yeah, like to hear. Um, and my wife's family are from Newcastle. Mine are from London, so it was more or less middle of the country so that was handy right by the motorway and then once my daughter settled here she started school uh, that was it really um, and we've been we've been here what 20 years now um, so yeah we've had uh, Jeff has uh, been good been good for us so the transition to coaching you you went from retiring as a player and being coach of the same team the next season right yes yeah well I had thought about playing another year uh, I was thinking, well, I was what thirty nine. I'm thinking, well, I could, I think I could still play another year and, and be useful um, out there. But Chris decided to go to Belgium. Um, the owners of the club asked me if I if I wanted to to be the coach. Um, they didn't want to play a coaches either, so they just wanted a a, a, a coach. They, as I said, they felt that didn't work, so it was a decision to make. So I thought, well, yeah, I, I will. I will go ahead, and I, and I took that job. Had you had you thought about coaching before then? Or had you done any coaching before then, or was that very much like I'd, jumping in at the deep end? I, I had always coached at uh, you know we were talking about camps and things with with, with kids and, and things like that. Uh, and oh, at that time, I was Laszlo's assistant to the England team. Okay. Because uh, as as I finished playing 
for the England team, Leslie asked me to be assistant to him. Um, that coincided with the time I moved to Sheffield. So to my, I can't really commit now because I, I need to get back into playing shape. But then he came back like maybe like a year later, um, and and then I said yeah. So I started assistant coaching for him. So that was you know that you got the feel of it. Obviously with Chris, and yes, you start thinking about the coaching side as you come to the end of your career, seeing how these guys do things, and what, you know, and you pick up pick up things from there. So the first year um, went into coaching. Um, I think we won the first 10 games of the season. It was like, wow, yeah, this coaching lot's easy, isn't it? <laughs> it didn't work out that way. But, yeah, so, so it started off really well. Um, most of the guys uh, from the team Chris had had come back. Um, they made one change, brought in a guy called H.L. Coleman for, for um, Jerry Williams, and we had a couple of guys on the bench. Brought back Richard Windle. He had gone to Birmingham at the time. That was a... Big, big thing for us because he he knows the way we play. Um, at the time, we had lost uh, a lot of guys: Todd Corson, Mike Payne, myself. Uh, you know, we we're all part of that that success story, if you like, at Sheffield. So we all finished at the same time. So to we had to bring other pieces in, and Richard was one of those that came back to it and 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 helped big time. Um, and Ian McKinney, who, who was there for, for years, they, the, Ian was the captain. I chose him as my my captain that year. And, you know, they knew what it what it takes to to win. Um so we, we ended up we ended up had we had a bit of a slump during the mid season uh, after a great start. Uh, then towards the end of the season again we had a bit of a slump. Although we did we we went, won the cup. Beat the Rocks in the Cup in the in the January time, and then came the playoffs. And Sheffield had never won the playoffs before. Semis, finals, but never won it. When I was playing, we got to a couple of semi a uh, couple of finals, and lost uh, in those finals. So we ended up playing London Towers in the semis, who were one of the fancy fancy teams. Um, we ended up beating them, so that was a good win. And then we've been playing Chester in the final. And to win that, I'd never won it as a player. To win it as, you know, your first attempt as a coach, I was like, wow, you know, it blew me. You, you sit and think about it afterwards. And that's when it when it hit home. Like, wow, that was that, you know, that was it. And then, you know, like I said, it's the first time the club had won it as well. Was there any part of it that was difficult coaching guys that you'd played with the season before? Like, did you get any pushback from them? Or was there kind of like, you know, with the boundaries of, of sort of the player-coach relationship and stuff like that? Kind of how difficult was that transition? Most most of the guys were good. Well, all the guys were good. Um, with Chris, I, my last year, I was Ill, his assistant coach as well. So he, I guess that divide, natural divide started to happen. That year, anyway. Um, but most of the guys there, they were good. Lenard Stewart, Justin Phoenix, H.L. Coleman, as I said, Robbie Anders, Nate Rankin, they were the, the main five guys. And they were really good guys, good guys to, to coach. Like I said, even when we went through those lean spells where we lost a few games, they hadn't lost faith in the coach. You know, there was none of the backbiting that we just dug in, got it right. And at, in the end, we ended up winning the playoffs. Mm. 
wanted to one of the things that you said previously um on the other podcast was the fact that you felt that Laszlo Nemeth had sort of changed the entire culture around the England uh national team program can you kind of talk on that a little bit and explain what you think he exactly did that sort of made that difference yeah definitely I remember the first time I saw Laszlo we were he was coached at the Iceland national team and we played them in two games one in Bracknell one in Worthing and I thought who's he, he had this bright white jumper on with all different colors like wow who's this clown type thing you know uh and then a few years later he ended up being the, the coach of the national team and I remember our first practice we went up to Reddish Vale it was the center of basketball then up in Stockport and there was probably about four guys turned up for a national team practice yeah yeah uh, the, I must have been disheartening for him. Um, myself, Ronnie Baker, maybe six guys, Steve, you guys from Oldham, turned up for, for this weekend of England practice. And he must have thought, what, what have I done here? Uh, but he that's where he built the program from. Uh, and one of the things he did well was really his man. He, he, got, he got to know the likes of people like John Amici, Steve Button, or... Spencer Dunkley got all these guys working um, for for the England team, and later on, you know, you talk about Andy Betts, Tony Dorsey, gotten to buy into to, to his vision. Um, and one of the things he he did as well, not only was he, you know, paramount in getting that the team play everybody together on the same page. One of the things is, whenever we needed anything, he would always. Um, deliver and a lot of it was out of his own pocket so when I say that I mean I mean like you know we would go away training camps coach we, we need more water we need more of this and he would deliver you know so that's you know that 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 ethos that culture everybody bought into him and and, and I'm sure you know him he's, he's a personal guy personable guy as well very very good guy good sense of humor but um just just when he lo- lost his temper that we, we, you know, obviously we didn't laugh right there and then, but away from the scenes, we used to, we used to have a, have a bit of a laugh. At some of the things he would say. <laughs> you know, looking looking back, you, you know, currently second most capped uh, player of, of all time. Um, when you look back at your national team career uh, as a player, before we get into the the, the, the the more the coaching stuff, but as a player, kind of what are the what are the standout memories? Um, and the standout teams, teammates, groups that you had uh, when you look back on 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 those those times representing uh, England and Great Britain. I think the, the obviously the, the standout one would be at playing the first time, the first game you, you played. Um, I got selected to play in a tournament in Finland. Um, there was a couple of guys who, who came in a bit later on, so automatically got a chance to play because they, you know, the team we only had a few guys there. Um, and then I think it went pretty well. Um, I remember Clyde Clyde Vaughan being on the team. Uh, Paul Stimson, who was the the you know, leading England cap person before I before I did, I broke his record. I think he was on the team. So that that was a good 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 experience, good eye opener. Um, but as it went on, I think the talent levels increased uh, on that team. Some of the guys I mentioned towards the end of my England career, I played with like John Amici, the Spencer Dunkley, the, the, the Steve Bunkles. I played with them towards the end of the career. 
uh, my career. You know, they they that from that level from where we first started it shows how far it's, it went. And uh, along the way, we we to start off with it was a we were all young, so we all grew together. Um, I remember going to a tournament in Portugal, Joel Moore, Roger Huggins, uh, Steve Nelson, Andrew Bailey. We were all young guys learning, learning that trade, if you like. Um, and I think, again, because of me being one of the older statesmen, um, you know, I had to step up a bit more, um, which helped me as a, as a player. And I ended up becoming captain uh, of the side. Dave Ransom was the coach at that time. Um, and like I said, we, we were a young team. I was probably one of the oldest guys on the team, maybe like 25, 26. So from then for the next 10, 11, 12 years, I was captain of the England team. And I'm proud of that because that's a, a long, long achievement. Are there any particular victories, uh, big scalps that you took that kind of stick out in, in your mind? Yeah. Um, I remember when Laszlo came along, one one of the things he taught us was the European play, uh, the, the the how to how to how to beat them, you know, the, the way they played. Um, we could do, you know, he couldn't change our our natural game, but it, mentally he made us stronger. Um, and a couple of times we went to places like Slovakia and Belarus, the people you go there and teams. Um, play games, if you like, with your can't get practice time, you can't do this, no balls, this, that, and the other type of thing. And this happened when we were in Slovakia and we ended up beating them. And that, that was a, that was a, a, a big, a big win for us. Cause at the time, you know, obviously people don't see England as a strong nation in basketball, but at the time we, we started to, to make waves. It was, a, it was a shame that we didn't get the backing in terms of, you know, the time to put the national team together. Because we would meet up, say on a on a Sunday after the BBO games, play the first game on a Wednesday, which we would normally get beat. The next game would be like the following Saturday, we would get better, and then we'd normally win the third game. So if we had the time together as a team, um, it would have been much better. And I think that part of that was one of the reasons I had when I went to, took over as the Commonwealth Games team, which I'll talk about a bit later on. That came from. That, that experience about having teams together as, as much as possible. Um, I remember early days, I think, though, um, for me, the, the biggest win early days, we were in Turkey and we had never, we were like qualifying rounds. We had never got to the big, um, you know, we, 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 we were in the groupings and stuff. We were just qualifying to get into the, the groups. And we went to Turkey. It was us, Sweden, Turkey. I can't remember who the other team was. Um, we were playing, the guy called Dave Gardner, was, we were one down, he was on the free throw line. He went to shoot the shot, made the first one. The Turkish crowd, this, this really was the first time, probably, probably one of the only times that I faced like racism on the court, there were the chants and all, all this type of stuff. Uh, but he made the first shot. As he lined up to take the second shot, somebody had thrown a coin and it hit him on the arm. So obviously the referee stopped the game for a bit until he composed himself. He went up to the line, he hit the second shot and all hell broke loose. We, you know, the, the, the whistle went, cause it was just right near the end. Um, 
they were throwing coins at us, and as we were running past them, they were trying to punch us and all that type of stuff. We got into the change rooms. We were like, yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden, there's window um, stones being thrown at the window, and police were outside trying to um, dismantle the crowd and things like that. That that was that was uh, that was the scariest scariest moment I would say uh, for me at the time. How, how did you guys we get out of the running, arena? Okay, yeah, go on, carry on. Well, well, we're 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 in the we're in the sports center. But we had to walk to the hotel. Um, and Sweden had qualified in that tournament. And on the way back, Sweden, they were sitting on the balcony. They were celebrating. They got egged by all those Turkish fans, apparently. So we, we had to walk back to the hotel. And we were armed guard. And then we got back to the hotel. But while we were running um, from, from the gym, our team manager, a guy called Morris Wordsworth, Never forget this. Uh, he was going around picking up all the coins off the court. <laughs> so we got we got back to the hotel. Uh, we were qualified, and he goes, uh, I think it was um, Colin Irish, I think, might have been the, the captain at the time. And he was like, here you go, Colin. Boom, gave him all this change. He's like, so we had a drink on all those supporters who were, who were booing against us. So I, I, I remember that. That was... Uh, that was that was a good uh, that was a good good night that was a good night man amazing um, yeah the, 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 the you know yeah the only the only uh, the other thing I wanted to quickly ask about when it came to national team playing was the um, Great Britain Olympic qualifiers when you played against some pretty big legends of the game um, can mm. you kind of what, what year was that was it ninety two or ninety four. It was like early 90s. 92. 92. Yeah, it was 92. We, we, went, we went to Spain for the actual um, tournament. But um, Kevin Cadle um, was in charge of the team at the time. And we, we, we that, that, in fact, that was, a, that was a fun time, that, that, that trip. We, we, we came in, um, season finished here, say May. We came in end of May. And we were together from there till probably end of June, six weeks, something like that, and training camps and playing. Um, and we we did play some some big teams at the time. We played Yugoslavia um, in warm-up tournaments. We had Petrovic and Dino Raja and uh, I forgot the guy who played at Lakers, Divac. All right, um, yeah. He, he played as well. Um, yeah, Vladi Divac, Kukoc. So there, there was a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of guys there that played. Uh, and we we did well. We 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 were, we were close. Again, that showed what we could do if we had had time. You know, they were one of the best in Europe. Um, but then you know we went on to the tournament. In in our group was uh, Lithuania with Marshall Onus playing and Sabonis playing. Uh, they he's definitely the bit best big man I've I've seen play live on the same court. Sabonis, you know, he was holding the ball like a tennis ball and just. Flipping it around, making passes all over the place, but again, they were held together by those two. As soon as they went out of the court, we would make our run, so they had to come back in. So you know, we we weren't far enough, we weren't far away from a lot of these teams. They just had some one or two great players, um, which we weren't at, didn't get to that stage yet. Um, so that was a fun fun six weeks or so. Um, did, did you go and, into and that? Again, did you go into that qualifying tournament thinking that you had a shot at actually qualifying for the Olympics or did you kind of go in thinking, yeah, this is a pretty long shot, but we're going to give it our best anyway? Yeah, I think it was probably the, sec- the second. Uh, if we, if we, we did it, it would have been great. Um, 
two teams qualified. We had our Russia at the time, CSSR, I think it was, and then Lithuania were the, the main two which, which qualified, and I think we may have ended up third, third, maybe fourth. So we were just slightly out. But again, you know, you're talking about coaches. Um, well, I've been lucky enough to, to, to play under some good coaches. I mentioned Chris and I mentioned Laszlo, but Kevin was another one. Uh, again, the mental side of the game, he, he, he taught to you know to to win uh, to you know what we needed to win yes you know we'll say he had a lot of talented teams however with a lot of talented teams you got to put that together and sometimes it's harder than when you've got guys who aren't you know you're not expecting to win uh, you know and he, and he and he did that year on year on year you know with with those talented guys so i le- i learned a lot from him there too so, so talking about kind of going back to the the career timeline. So, you're, you're coaching um, in Sheffield. When did England's first sort of come come knocking uh, and knowing that the, the the 2006 Commonwealth Games were were coming up? Yes, it was my my second year um, as a coach. I'd done the first year, which as I said, we we won the the double there. Um, went for an interview uh, for 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 the role. Which is strange because we we practice at the EIS where where the English EBBA base was at the time. So from the practice floor, went in, got changed into the suit for the interview. I was interviewed by Dip Donaldson and Dan Lloyd. I think Dave Ransom as well. Um, those three guys. Uh, so you know, obviously, I must have interviewed well. I can't remember who else were who else were interviewed on the interview panel, but. Uh, they they offered me the job, and and the guy by the name of Keith Mayer, who was the basketball executive there, and he, he ran ran the program. And I must say, um, I know he did get some bad press, but for me, he put a good program together for us. Him and the lady called Rad Miller, um, leading up to to the Commonwealth Games, we had a lot of a lot of tournaments, a lot of practice time. Um, I mentioned earlier about teams growing together. We, we once every month we managed to get the team together. Well, together wasn't necessarily the team, but the squad together to to practice, and I think that helped break down one barriers because basketball, like you know, guys are statistical. I can I can do this, I can do that, you know, type of thing. So I had to get across to them. It's not about your club side now. We're here on a national team. We got to play together, and I had two years to install that. That mentality, and like I said, I got that from from Laszlo. Uh, another thing from Laszlo as well was he implemented uh, a player trust fund type thing, um, which I implemented again with the England the G, uh, England side. Um, so as time went on, we managed to get some funding. So we managed to get people like Mike Martin, Steve Bucknell to come in, and they were part of that funding. However. For me, it wasn't fair if the other guys didn't get something as well. So we put together some sort of deal where guys who 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 practiced went to all the tournaments. They maybe not get to the squad, but they got something out of it, you know. Uh, so we we put that together. I was going to ask particularly about uh, John Amici because he'd obviously retired. Well, I think he'd retired by that at that point. Did he? He came out of retirement to play. Like, were you involved in kind of you know trying to get him to play, or kind of what was the conversations and, that were going on around that? 
I, I think, um, if I remember, I think John wanted to play. He wanted to go to the Commonwealth Games. He wanted to represent England. So that's half of my job done. Um, the other half was trying to get him into some sort of shape because, like you said, he he yeah he, he had retired. So, um, but the easy bit was he wanted to do it. You know, so he he did things. He got he got himself motivated. He got himself in in shape. Um, by the time we got to the Commonwealth Games, obviously he wasn't in, in in top shape of his career, but he was our focal point in 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 the paint. Um, and things rotated off him, and I think that was a, a big success of of that tournament. You know, I look at the roster, and there's clearly some. Well, there's a lot of alphas, a lot of uh, big names, big egos. Kind of, you know, were there any moments in practices or training camps where you were like, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to pull this off and get these guys kind of on the same page playing with each other? Or was it very much they were all brought in and uh, were willing to sacrifice, I guess, their own personal individual status for the good of uh, good of the team? There, 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 was, always, uh, there was always battles, let's say. You're, you're always trying to get guys to buy in. Um, we don't do it this way. We do well. This is the way we're doing it here. You know, um, by the end of the by the end of the time, guys were bought in, especially when we when we got there. But um, you know, people like Steve Bucknell, um, he was coming to the end of his career. Ronnie Baker coming to the end of their career. They they were the ones that, that steadied the ship, if you like, uh, helped bring things together. They were they were the calm heads. Uh, Sullivan was was a a big part of that team as well. Um, to to be fair, before then, you know, I'd heard of Andrew Sullivan, uh, seen him play a little bit, but I didn't realise how good he was. And when I, you know, when I saw him play those two years, um, he, he was definitely our best player. Unfortunately, he got hurt in the in the semi final, um, which which didn't help. But but uh, yeah, he was definitely um, the the big player. For us, and then we had other guys such as Jermaine Forbes, Julius Joseph. You know, they they did well. And a a guy everybody thought was a bit of a clown, um, a guy by the name of Robert Reed. And was, oh, well, you got him there. But he was a bit of a loose cannon. But I tell you what, when it came down to it, he got the job done. You know, he got the job done. And then, so I guess we had different different mixes, but it all came together really well. Was there expectation? Like, what were the ex- what were the expectations going into uh, to the games with that group? Well, it was well, basically we, we needed to try and get at least a bronze medal. Um, that was the expectation. That's what we were aiming for. But I think maybe maybe we could have gone a step further. We were a little bit unlucky in the, in the semis. Um, you talked about. You, did you think you know you bit off a bit too much, uh, more than you can chew? And I think that time came when we played Barbados in the first game. Um, I, I was keyed up anyway because that was my my parents come from there, so I, you know I was keyed up about it. First time we ever played them. Uh, Nigel Lloyd was a coach of Barbados as well, so I knew Nigel really well. And I had a couple of guys who played in the BBL. Um, Andrew Elaine and Victor Payne, they played for the Barbados side too. They played in the BBL. Um, we got to three quarters. Should be winning quite comfortably. We were, it was close. Can't remember if it was slightly down or slightly up. And that was the time I thought, 
wow, maybe maybe, maybe it was a bit bit too much, you know. Uh, we can't beat these guys, but then we ended up winning that game, and as I say, the the rest is history. But I think, like I said, the learn learning curve. We played New Zealand in in the group games, and Piero Cameron, who played at Chester, he was he was one of the guys on on that team, and they just beat us up. We weren't ready for that type of physical play. But by the time we got to the place, Australia in the semifinals, half time, time, we were necking with them, playing the same way New Zealand did. So we had learned from it. You know, we, we got better. And as I said, Andrew Sullivan got hurt. Um, and in the second half, they got hot as well. And, and I, I hope so did. Um, I think as, as those shots started going in, the, the Australian crowd got behind them a bit more confidence there if we could have held out maybe to the third end of the third quarter who knows when the moment that you actually you know won the bronze kind of was there big celebrations you know was there any feelings of relief kind of what was the general emotion sentiment around you and the team well for for, for the team we basically we had done what we came there to do um everybody has said right we want to get the bronze medal at the minimum um and I think a lot of people doubted that we could do that. So for the team, yes, we done we done it. We got that. Um, the final, the, the the bronze medal match itself was was a, was a was strange because we played Nigeria, and we're warming up, and before the game, one of the baskets had broke. So then there was a a big delay, maybe about forty minutes or so. So we were sitting around waiting for forty minutes, and I think. We we had adapted better than they did because I remember right when they said right you got so much time left to to go on the court we got everybody together and refocused type thing and they they were still out on the court doing whatever they did and from the get go we 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 jumped on them uh, I mean that's one of one of the easier games we'd won not because because um, they weren't a, a good team or a talented team it was just the fact that mentally we were ready. We got refocused. And like I said, the, we heard the, the challenges from the New Zealand and the Australia game, uh, which, which helped us get better. Um, it was disappointing for me because my first thought when they said, you're going to the Commonwealth Games, you've seen all these guys standing on the podiums. I'll be like, yes, I want to, you know, I want to get up there. I want to get on the podium, do that. But their rules is so, so many athletes focus in the, the, in, you know, on the, on the stage, stage it was a bit of a shame for me, but I still did it. Um, didn't get, didn't actually get a medal either, which was a shame. There's all again players, uh, coaching support staff didn't get it, but that whole process, um, it did take a toll. Um, I did feel drained at the end of it, but you know, you you learn a lot about yourself when you go through uh, hard times, and uh, one of the, the backroom staff I had there, I think, really helped. Firstly, Michael Hells was the assistant coach. Um, he did he did a he did a great job. He he was a, again he's another people person, so he would get the, the feeling of the player. He was like my my bridge to the players type thing, and you know, relay back how they were feeling feeling, and we would adapt things that way. Um, physio a guy called Alex Alzelmo. Um, he, um, he's been around the England team for years before then, so we kept him on. And a guy who I mentioned earlier, who was my school teacher, Kevin Hibbs, we ended up being a team manager for the team. Um, and how that came about, he went from 
basketball into like the county scene and, and then I don't know how it worked, but he ended up being on the, on, on the national team, uh, national coaches panel or things like that. So when I sat down with Keith Mayer, we were trying to think about um, who we're going to have as team manager. Um, you can throw all these names out and mention Kevin Hibbs and Keith was like, yeah, that's a good fit. That's a good fit. So, and it definitely was, uh, you know, uh, it just shows you how things, how things work out, isn't it? Uh, things coming full circle. Ago, he got me into basketball. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he hadn't got me into basketball, we wouldn't have been, have been in that situation. Wow. So, so that, that was, that, that was the end of the England thing. And the, the, the sad thing about it for me was that they didn't continue with an England program. It ended there really until the last Commonwealth Games. And it showed you that it's not as easy as everybody thinks to go and get the bronze medal. Uh, to start as, as Great Britain then, didn't it? The, uh, yeah. That was literally we, right. we, we, yeah, So, which was a shame. Yeah. Was it hard to go back, to go from, you know, the Commonwealth Games? Because, uh, you know, it happens in the middle of the season, right? So you, you took essentially, a, what, a month off in the middle of the season? Then you had to go yeah. straight back into, into Sheffield. Yeah, like I said, it did take did take a, a lot out because not only were you concentrating, concentrating on the national team, yeah, concentrating on your team as well here. Um, so you had, didn't really have a break. So mm. the weekends where you're supposed to have a break, you're with the national team. During the summer, you're supposed to have a break, you're with the national team. So for those two years, it was really full on. Um, but I was, again, fortunate enough that Todd Colton was my assistant. So he, 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 you know, he, he's uh, done a lot in the game. You know, a good, good player. He knows the league, so he, he took over while I was gone and did a fantastic job. You know, without him there in the background, that, that wouldn't have happened. Oh. So you did another what two two more years in Sheffield before you ended up uh, sort of retiring. How 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 well? Yeah, stepping down from the BBL uh, as head coach, kind of. Mm. How did that decision come around, um, and how did you feel about kind of, yeah, deciding to step away from from coaching the Sharks? Well, at the time, I, I didn't want to. Um, they they made a decision that financially they had to go in a different direction. So, you know, that was that was that. Basically, they made a decision. So, I went looking elsewhere to to coach somewhere else. Um, the the I remember Leicester speaking to Leicester at one point, uh, and they ended up getting Rob Patton Ross, and he's done a fantastic job there ever since, hasn't he? He's, he's been there a good while, and he's done a great job there. So, but then at the same time, I think it was probably about uh, a month later, um, I went to India. I was doing a a development sort of like program in India, that type of thing, and they were thinking about maybe me as their national coach. But when I got back home, my wife found a lump um, on her breast and then obviously found out it was, was breast cancer. So that was the end of that, really. I thought, well, can't go anywhere. We had a little little child, so we, we've got a, we got well, two two kids at the time. So we, we got to put that first. So for a year, uh, so I was out of the game. Uh, luckily for, for us, she's fine. What, 12 years clear now so which is great um but i got back in got back into basketball uh, by a team called sheffield sabers they were in division three um richard Wendell was from at the time 
And he he said, oh, come and play, come and play. I'm like, I'm 45 years old. Is he playing there? But the guy who who runs the Sheffield Sabres program, he was the club doctor of the Sharks as well at the time, so I knew him well. Um, so, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Uh, you know, first game, I remember going, going to Sefton in this cold gym, horrible change room. What the hell am I doing here? What am I doing? But you know, after a while, you got the bug back, and then uh, it was a it was a good year. It was a good year. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I think my knees are paying for it now. That extra year, but it was it was a good year. And you, you're still coaching Sheffield Sabres to this day, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the next year, I ended up coaching, um, and I've been doing that ever since, like you say. So, what's that? Ten, eleven years now? Maybe twelve years now. The other thing I I do have to quickly ask you is. Uh... Can you still dunk? I haven't tried. I haven't tried. You know, I did. Uh, you remember, you I remember did a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, that's that's why I bring it up. Is that uh, at, at um, Bev Guyman's uh, fundraiser down in in Solent. I think you were forty nine at the time. Um, Ronnie Baker dumped yeah, it off yeah, to you on the break, yeah. and you you got up and threw it down. Uh, so yes. Well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a dunk. I'll just call it. You know, I managed to get to the rim and that one. But I'll take it. I'll take it. At forty nine, you take that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I remember it would would have been a few couple of years after with the Sabres guys. We were practicing, um, and oh, you can't do that. I said, oh, but I could still dunk. No, nah, you can't do that. So I went up, still dunked it. So we're like, oh, all right, that was the end of that. But. Um, the, the, the one good thing as well from when you finish playing, uh, you get to that master stage. So I ended up playing in the Masters tournament uh, a couple of years. Um, it must have been like three years ago now, I think. Um, again, we had the nucleus of the guys from the Sharks, um, Todd Cawthorn, Ian McKinney, together with Mike Payne. We, uh, we played together on that. And when, that was a... The last tournament I played in, and I was going to say we won that tournament. So, yeah, I went out on the champ. <laughs> <laughs> went out on top. Yeah. Do you, uh, you know, with, with the Sabres and obviously kind of getting around Division 3, do, do you feel like, uh, I mean, maybe, yeah, I mean, do you feel like that people kind of have a recognition or understanding of who you are and kind of what you've done in the game? Or do you think that it's very much people have got no clue? Yeah, so I think even the guys, even the guys on on the Sabres team, they don't they they know you played basketball, but that's about it. They don't really know um, the depth of it all. Yeah. But to, to be fair, this since this lockdown, you know, like you say, they're putting all these different stats up and all that. I think they they see see it in a, see you in a different light now. Like, oh wow, uh, you know, it's like he does know what he's talking about. <laughs> is is there any part of you that? Uh kind of is like you know I, I speak to you obviously I, sp- I spoke to Martin Hennon on the podcast last week you know I speak to a lot of sort of uh, figures from from that era that now are disconnected from the game on some level you know like uh, well in a way that really in, in the context of the British game you're a living legend and you should be put on that pedestal and kind of people need to realise kind of who you are and what you've done you know is there any part of you that kind of looks at say the GB programme uh, you know or even BBL and you think you know you should be involved at a high level you want to be involved at a high level or, or kind of do you more feel like you know I'm, I'm happy with Sheffield Sabres I'm kind of still following through my career, my, my career off the court um, or do you think at some point you know you'd love to be involved with the GB programme again or if England was to set up for a future Commonwealth Games or, or whatever it is yeah, 
Yeah, I would love to be involved, but you know, you've been so so long at the game at that level. Um, I don't know; it's an unknown quantity how how it would be now. Um, some people say, you know, you, you never you never lose it, and the bite as soon as you get back, you pick it up. I don't know, but it comes to it comes a point where you've got to focus on other things. You got you know other things to to that comes comes first place. Basketball wasn't wasn't at that point. You know, you got family, you got the kids and bills and everything else. They they got to come first. Yeah. So, you know, done that. Yeah, it would be nice. It'd be nice if 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 you know, if you like the NBA, you can get you got paid as 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 that high amount so you didn't have to to work, you could have helped still help in basketball and that type of thing at a high level. That would be great, but the finance isn't there, so you got to find something else to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, I, I I do think I do think, like you mentioned, there's a lot of guys out there with um, a lot of knowledge of the game that is that is that is missing that could be used um, around up and down the country. Uh, but just in case of somebody pulling that together, how I don't know, but but there is a lot of guys out there. Uh, you, know, you you look at guys I've played with, like Steve Bottnell, he's running his program down um, in Lewisham. They're doing a a good job down there. You know, um, I know Steve Nelson did at Worthing as well and did a good job there. So his son and daughter now are playing, played in the States or playing in Europe. So there's guys out there with a with a, not a lot of knowledge that could help the youngsters um, of today. But I tell you what, being on the Sabres coaching, um, the attitude has changed in terms of in terms of playing. I, I look at it as, as this: back then when we played, it was what do I have to do to get paid type thing, that attitude. Nowadays, it's like, you pay me first and I'll show you what I can do. You know, that, 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 that attitude changes. It takes a lot of adjusting to. Yeah. How, how do you deal with situations like that? It just, I mean, like with these guys, sometimes they, they got to learn the hard way. Um, yeah. You say to them, do this, do that. They, they don't do it. So right, you don't play or, you let them make their mistakes, and then they like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Uh, and uh, even at this level, at the Sabres, at Division Three, um, start of the year, we always because you cannot cannot rely on on a, a group of guys because they've got work, they've got colleges, they got everything. So every year the team changes, it evolves, it evolves. So start of the year, you're putting your things in place. It's hard for them to understand it, for them to get it. But by the time you get to Christmas and to the end of the year, things they you know you see the massive improvement, and that and that's just with with, with that level. Have you uh, since um, stepping down from the well, I guess England, but also the the BBL, like uh, and not being involved at, at that level? Have the federations reached out to you in any type of capacity to try and get you involved in some type of way? Not really. Uh, uh, at the time um, when GB came around. I had just finished the the England Commonwealth Games. Uh, my dad was ill at the time as well, and like I said, I just I just needed a bit of a break. So they were asking if I was going to apply for it. I said no. I mean, Chris did it, and he got the job, and he did a good job with it. But um, no, um, at that level, but actually, tell a lie. Um, came back a little bit with Paul James. They had like a England Futures um, team. Um, a lot of guys, Matthew Bryant was on there, um, Justin Robinson. I'm trying to remember his name, that Hamilton, actor Hamilton, Hamilton, he yeah. was on there. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a few few of the guys that that play in the BBL last year now were were on that team. So Paul, that was done through Paul James. He was the head coach, and he asked me to for come and help. And I loved that. That was that was early doors when I finished, just as I finished coaching a couple, yeah. of, couple of years in. So that was good. One of the uh, one of the things that that Martin said, which I thought was quite interesting, was that that he's you know someone who was involved with the game for so long is now completely disconnected from the professional league in terms of following it, knowing what's going on. He wouldn't be, he said he wouldn't be able to name you who the MVP was or who the top teams are. Like, like do you follow the BBL in any type of capacity? Are you interested if you are? Like, what is it about it? If you're not, kind of, why do you think that you're not? Not really. I have seen odd games here and there. Um, last year, I went down to see um, London at Crystal Palace. They played Chester. I think it was just before the playoffs started, towards the end of the league season. Um, I went with my brother, and then I looked at the game. Funny enough, uh, bumped into Alton Bird there as well, so I was good catching up with the wheel here. Yeah, um, but I looked at the league and I thought, I, I don't, I don't know whether I'm looking at it through rose-tinted glasses or not, but the feel of it just wasn't the, wasn't the same, you know. Guys are athletic enough, but they didn't just didn't have the understanding of the game. Yeah, you know, and I always compare it to like Division Three. The only difference between Division Three and and the BBL, the games I've seen, is the fact that they're more talented. The understanding of the game still not there. The BBL, they made my able to run high, um, run faster, jump high, you know, make a few more shots, but the understanding isn't there. Yeah, from what I've seen, so. What, what would the uh, what would the B- uh, I guess it's all, all down to finance, isn't it? All down, to, down to finance. What would the BBL need to do to re-engage you, like to make you a fan? What do you think the league would need? What would you need to see to be interested in following it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is the honest answer. Um, uh, I think maybe, maybe. Um, do you know? Certain players, like you know, like how the NBA lived up, like Michael Jordan or Kobe, you know, that that kind of that flagship player um, that everybody's talking about. Maybe that might bring people back in, you know, yeah. like myself who do who 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 knows the game. Yeah, okay, I so... don't know, but it, it, it's like I said, it's hard when you've been out for so long. It's yeah. hard now. Yeah. Okay, so we're of time. Uh, let's look at wrapping up with some some sort of more quick fire questions just to to finish up. Uh, starting with uh, favorite coach you ever played for? Oh, well, I've mentioned a few good coaches, but I think probably probably Laszlo probably tipped the scales. Uh, oh yeah, I think it would be Laszlo. Uh, toughest player you ever had to guard? Ooh, there's so many of them. Um, I guess for for my sins, I was quite versatile. So I guarded guards right up to to big men. I would say probably the toughest guard was a guy called Bubba Jennings. He could shoot from anywhere. I remember the first time I played against him, he shot from there and off the halfway line and went in. I was like, wow, well, I'm gonna have to do something different here. Um, you know, you guard Tony Dorsey towards the end of my career he was a, he another tough player when we were playing against Manchester. There's been so so many good players and great players. Um, to to name them all, Colin Iris is another one. Um, he, he was the type of guy where, where you think, right, I've got him, I've got him quiet, 
all it takes is one shot and then that's it. He's off again, you know. Al Cunningham, another. So a lot of good players, a lot of good players. Best uh, British player you've ever seen, played with, played against? For me, that's a for me that's an easy one. It's got to be Steve Bartnell. What do you, um, what do you think separates that. Steve? The 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 mental side of the game um, is a lot to do with it. That will it the work he had uh, was was to do with it. He just wanted to get better, and from from a lad I knew him as a, as a kid. He, you know the way he improved year on year. Um, even lucky like you talking about a jump shot. He couldn't shoot the ball really to start off with, and you know by the end of it, he was deadly with it. So yeah, uh, I, love, I love playing. Um, same team as Steve. Steve. And then Roger Huggins close second. Roger Huggins close second. Uh, and the best uh, British junior player you've ever seen? I don't know. Um, I remember Andrew Bailey was as uh, he was then during his his time at juniors. He he was tough. It was tough. There's there's quite a few 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 guys that that I could talk about. Um, Lord Deng as well when he was down in London. Um, he, he's another one that springs to mind. Playing against him in, in the, I was I was coaching by that time, but you know that stood out as well. How how good he was. I think he was about fifteen, might might have been fifteen, sixteen at the time when I played him. And you could see he he he, he was the way he was defending me. He was like, no, I'm not gonna let you have anything. I'm not gonna let you have anything. It was all, all you know, it was all up there. I was like, hold on, man, I'm an old man. Let, let, Give me a break. <laughs> your, uh, you can see, you can see he had the attitude. He had the attitude. Your favourite basketball memory? Probably. Well, to do with basketball, the favourite memory is um, getting the MB from, from, from the Queen. I think that that was, that's something you didn't expect start playing the game you know because uh, you enjoyed it and you got to got to that that that, that was uh, that was probably my my biggest memory we we didn't even touch upon that so just just quickly how, how did that come about did was it did someone nominate you like uh do you kind of know how it actually came to be i think i think you get nominated um and then obviously whoever uh, the palace aides and representatives will have to um ratify it so we did. We were away at the time and come back. It would have been about May time. Got this letter, looked at it, had the raw seal on it. That's ah, not right. Well, opened it up and said, "You've been, you know, awarded MBE. Don't say anything to anybody. It's coming out in like probably about a month or something. You couldn't say anything. I think I told my mom. So that was, you know, again, I had to look at the letter again to make sure that. That it was real, and funny enough, as I said during this lockdown, I found it and the letter in in one of the bags. Wow! And then finally, uh, what do you want your uh, legacy to be? Hey, um, I don't know. It's um, it's different because you know some people know you as just a player. Some people know you as just a coach because some some guys, especially the early days in Bratton, like I said, I was doing the sports development work. A lot of them now, they're still saying, I got them into the game. 
you know, so that that was that was a good thing, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just just like remember you make you make your mark. My dad always said you're you're here for a short time, make your mark. And when basketball was my mark, and I guess I've I've made it, made made that mark anyway. It'll be in the record books for a while anyway. Perfect. That's a perfect place to leave it. Uh, Pete, thank you so much. Uh, much appreciate. It was super insightful, super interesting. Um, and uh, I'm sure we will catch up again soon. No worries. Thank you. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.